this uh, This is Joe Cole. This is Ruben Loftus Cheek, and you're listening to the London, the London is Blue podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode. That's right, of the London is Blue podcast, your favorite place to listen to news and conversation about the best team in all of world football. Yes, it is Chelsea Football Club, the pride of London, the current champions of Europe. Dan here, no Brandon tonight. He's out playing softball, hoping hoping to continue the winning ways that Chelsea have found this weekend in his personal life. But we have Nick here, and we... Nick, when it's you and I together, what do we do? Well, we save the world. That's what we do. We always I mean, save the world. Come on. I mean, I think everyone gets this. We did a couple of these last year while Brandon was off gallivanting or doing who knows what. And, you know, we bring the heat. We bring the ruckus. Um, there's a bring chant the that, I won't, that I won't say that it contains some bad words. And as you know, I don't like to swear. So there's that. Well, that is, in fact, what we will do. We will take your questions. This is a little midweek mailbag. We had thought about, depending upon transfer news, incomings, outgoings, we might have maybe more to talk about this week. Uh, again, we don't say that we're in the know. We don't do any of that nature. So instead of doing a fabricated bit of information, we just put out the call. We said, hey, do you got some questions? We've got time. We've Put it put in our calendar to record. And so uh, we're here doing that, Nick. So we got a bunch of questions we want to answer for our listeners, uh, both from our wonderful Patreon and our Discord community, also on Twitter. But let's give uh, maybe a couple of just quick moments of gratitude here, and uh, then we'll jump in. That's right. Uh, we've heard some good feedback on our Ted Lasso pods. If you haven't checked those out, they're exclusive to our Patreon community. Um, it's a it's a incentive for those folks who have been really good to us and uh, who have supported us around, along the year to uh, ensure that we give them some kind of unique and interesting content. So we are following along the entire Ted Lasso season two, episode by episode. We just covered episode four. It's out now. It's a it's a holly jolly episode. I'll say that. Um, so would love to get some more feedback on that. If you go, it's in our Patreon. It's on our thread. Uh, just sign up in one of our two uh, thresholds. That would be really cool. People who have done that are Ryan, yearly sub. What's up? Uh, way to take advantage of the discount. Well played. Uh, new subs on a monthly basis. Sebastian, Chip, and Ben. Welcome to the family. I feel like we have like eight new people every every day that we do this. Uh, so look, there's lots to enjoy in the Discord. Uh, I have been in the golf thread showing off my new uh, clubs that I purchased that, that will get put to work this weekend. So that's good. And then we have some Apple podcast reviews. These are super important to us. As you know, they help us get ranked and they help people find us. We want more people to find us. We want people to listen to excellent content. We think we deliver that. So D. Dreth uh, in the U.S., Rickety Cricket, <laughs> that's one of my favorites, uh, Michael Dele, One Clive Walker, and Belgian Chels. These are all U.S. store five-star reviews. Uh, while you're here, while you're listening, uh, likely on one of these apps, just drop us a five-star. Please, just do it. If you haven't done it, if you've been listening to us for years, we get these occasionally where they're like, I've been listening to you for 14 and a half years and I just did it. That could be you today. Is that someone who's a time traveler who traveled back in time from the future and then came back and their first thing to do was to leave a five-star review in Apple Podcasts? Because that's, that's really right. impressive. That's yeah, some it's, real dedication. It's commitment is what it is, Dan. That's what we need people to do is commit. You know. We do need the commitment. And we will talk about commitment and a bunch of other things. We've got questions about Lukaku, questions about the lineup, questions about hot dogs. Yes, we got plenty of things that the people have asked about. We're going to jump right in. Talking about Tammy Abraham, uh, McLeese was asking the over-under 19.5 goals all competitions with Tammy this year because he's now part of the buyback army. You know, So Chelsea Forever have had this loan army of players loaned out that might come back to the side. Now we have a buyback army of players we've sold that we might buy back in the future. So obviously we'll keep uh, an eye on Tammy. And then also Frank asked, you know, what's our take on Tammy's time with the club and how he was treated? You know, obviously we saw the announcements uh, recording this today on August 17th. We saw the, the club's announcement. We saw Tammy's posting today uh, upon leaving. We've also seen the news out of Rome and, and Roma for his announcement there. So Nick, feel free to go in either direction. You want to talk about his time? Do you want to give a quick answer on the over under where you want to go first? Yeah, I'll talk about his time. Um, if you watch the, the video that was posted to his thread today, 
Uh, one, I think he's handled himself incredibly well throughout this process, and that's not always the case when you don't feel valued at your current employer. Uh, I think that he showed a lot of maturity and grace when uh, I don't know if I would have done the same thing, frankly, uh, after being undervalued as much as he's been. So uh, I think that's just first and foremost. He was a class act along the way, I think, did everything he could to convince Tuchel that he was going to be the guy and, and just that never came to fruition, uh, unfortunately. Uh, I think Tammy's time at the club was an unprecedented success for a striker coming through the youth system and playing at that level. Uh, we have not seen anyone come remotely close to that from the youth team. Uh, the fact that he came in and led our team in goals, uh, even as Chelsea tried to replace him with a hundred million pounds worth of striker, uh, after he led the first year and they weren't able to do it, uh, shows me that he has skill and class, uh, beyond what a lot of, uh, fans might think. And, uh, the fact that he led our team last year in an abysmal goal scoring season for us, uh, still, got us into top four, if you think about the critical goals that he scored in the Premier League and uh, and helped Chelsea in the Champions League as well. So, look, I am extraordinarily proud of Tammy's time here. That video made me feel all over again, and I wasn't prepared to do that today. Um, and, look, I, I just I remember back to that first moment, Dan. He scores against Norwich. He goes and hugs Frank Lampard right away. It's one of those memories I think will stick with me for as long as I live with Chelsea Football Club. That's a great one. You know, obviously we tweeted out from our own account today. The we kicked it off with the Arsenal uh, match where that was quite a memorable moment as well. He's definitely had a, a few big moments that I think people will reflect upon as the moment that they crystallize in their mind as the really, really good times for Tammy and not some of the times where he was either riding the bench, wasn't making the match day squad when we had three left backs on the roster when we had expanded squad sizes. And look, it was tough. It obviously didn't end the way that I'm sure Tammy or maybe a, a fair amount of our fans would hope that it did. But I think the best thing that you can hope for any Chelsea player who's a graduate of the academy is that they have gone someplace to play professional football at the highest levels. And so by him earning this opportunity for, for Roma and getting situated there, getting to go play for Mourinho and who knows, potentially bringing Roma back to some level of dominance in Serie A will be very interesting to watch. And, who knows, in two years' time, three years' time, maybe there's a reunion, and that would be a really great thing to see. I think 19 and a half goals would not be out of the realm of possibility. I'd probably take the under just by the number of matches they play. I mean, Roma's not in European football, um, so they're going to have a little bit of a lower threshold to achieve that number. Uh, yeah, I think under first season over second season, I mean, just like any other player, right? Adjusting to a new league and a new style of play, especially in Italy, which is a far more defensive, you know, Catanaccio league. I mean, this is a, this is going to be a, a change for him. It's going to be a challenge for him. Fick went over and did extraordinarily, extraordinarily well in that system because that is what he's used to doing. I think it's going to be a little more challenging for, for Tammy and it's partly because, you know, look, I mean, Jose is going to be a Chelsea legend forever and ever, but I think he's kind of past it, past his best. And he hasn't, you know, I think outside of Harry Kane, who is, you know, the best striker in the Premier League, uh, not named Romelu Lukaku now, um, he hasn't really had a striker thrive since he had Drogba uh, and, and Costa, you know, for those seasons. So, this is not, you know, maybe the best system per se, but I hope, I, I sincerely hope that Mourinho turns turns it around, obviously gets his mojo back and that Tammy's at the center of that project and that he's the guy that everyone looks to and says, hey, why the fuck did we get rid of that guy? Like, that's the best case scenario. Absolutely. Well, you mentioned his name, so let's jump to him next. We had questions regarding Lukaku, so Kate asking, do we think Lukaku is going to hit the ground running or will he need a week or two to get his Premier League legs back? And then Brad asking, what's a reasonable goal tally to expect from Lukaku this this season? And I'm going to bucket that as across all competitions, mm. Nick, so that we can use that as our barometer for Lukaku. Yeah, I've seen some crazy over under <laughs> numbers on this. So maybe we start there. 
Uh, I saw an over under of 29 and I was like, come on, man. Like all I, comps I mean, or for just the Premier League? All, all comps. Like, okay. I mean, again, remember, he's coming back to the Premier League. Luckily, he's played here before, you know, in, in the league. But I mean, it's a lot. It's a lot of goals when we haven't had that many from this system yet. So I'd be it's, it's not a slide against him. It's a slide against the system offensively. I don't know if we're necessarily going to create that many chances right away, which might put him a little bit behind that number. So I think all comps, he might just get there or might be just a smidge under like 28 or something like that. So 29. So you're taking the over. Or you're taking the under under just by just by a, just a hair, though. So I think I'm going to take the over um, just to be a little bit of a, a, a contrarian here. So if you look at the last two seasons, so he played mm-hmm. 51 matches in the 1920 campaign. He played uh, 44 matches in the 2021. It was 34 goals all comps and then 30 goals all comps. So I do think it's doable, particularly because we're going to play more. I mean, there's a likelihood that we could play 60 to 60 plus matches. Yeah. I mean, like all comps this year is a different, you might be right. I mean, all comps is a different scenario because you are going to have the club world cup in there when you normally wouldn't have. And that, that should be an area where our big players can score goals relatively easy. Um, Knock on wood, obviously, but um, yeah, I don't know if I see him playing the FA cup that often. I don't know if I see him playing in the League Cup that often. You know, it's just he's really going to have to do a majority of his work in the Champions League and the and the Premier League. And depending on what group we get, you know, assuming that you know if we're in the group of death, you know, <laughs> with Champions League draw and they really try and stick it to us, or if we're in another really easy group like we were last year, where we got to roll over Krasnodar and and Ren and you know in pretty easy fashion, I, I think there's just a lot of variables that I'm just I'm going to hedge under just a smidge. Okay, well, that's fair. I will say to Kate's question, I actually don't think it's going to take him a long time to hit the ground running when the first match that you have is going against Arsenal at the Emirates, where his hero, Drogba, absolutely loved to get the business done. I feel like there are not many times where I would go out of the limb on making a bet, but I feel like even if he were to come in in a substitute capacity, let's say for 30 minutes or so, in that match, I feel like he's good for a goal this weekend. Here's a extraordinarily bullish prediction from me, the person who hates these things. Whenever he comes on, he will score within the first 15 minutes of being on the pitch. <laughs> I'm, wow. I'm so confident of that. They are not going to know what to do with him. Have you seen, by, by the way, is he going to hit the ground running? Yes. Have you seen him? He looks fit as a fiddle, man. Like he's ready to go. I I have zero worries about him. I'm worried about the rest of the team being able to get him the ball right now. Like that's what I'm worried about more than him. I that's why I'm kind of like I kind of said that in my in my goal prediction. I was like I don't know if they're going to know him well enough at the beginning to like fire him up, but I think he might go on a, a nice little solo tasty run and, and stick one in. Well, it's going to be nice for someone like Mason to really pad those open assist numbers when Lukaku starts converting those opportunities. I mean, it's it really, it's going to be great. You know, I mean, that that's what I'm kind of concerned about. Um, <laughs> we'll make a transition for uh, the question from uh, Os- Osu, who's asking, if we could only make one more permanent transfer out this summer, who would it be and how much are you willing to pay to make it happen? I I, I think they meant in because they're asking how much would we pay to make it happen. Um, yeah, yeah, that would make sense. So uh, in, if you could make one in transfer happen and you were willing to pay <laughs> set a price for it, uh, is it? Is it Declan Rice? I feel like Declan Rice is kind of the one that you would do. No brainer. Yes, absolutely. That is the one that I would do. Declan Rice is is the correct answer. Uh, I don't think I would go over seventy five, frankly, because uh, like again, you think about his role, you think about the players that we currently have in the team uh, who are doing the business right now. I mean. It, we talk about a guy like Jorginho, for example, who, you know, prior to Tuchel getting here was was in a really sorry state of form and then has gone on this tear in the Champions League and in uh, and, and the Euros and now just back in the Premier League where he just looks like a whole different player, looks very confident, all this kind of stuff. So 
I'm I'm very I'm very sure that Declan is the long-term solution for Chelsea. I, I really hope it happens someday. It doesn't seem likely at this point, but that's the one I would do. I think the sneaky one that I came up with this afternoon, a player who I've really enjoyed watching over the Euros and then also uh, in some of the uh, occasional Liga watching I did last season was putting in a sneaky large bid for someone like Pedri who looks to be absolutely in the cusp of being a kind of world talent. And look, Barcelona is also one of the many clubs strapped for cash. One of the many clubs that needed a Super League because they are in debt. They, I mean, their Twitter account is tweeting out like how much debt they have, which is just so bizarre for one of these like historic clubs that you keep on thinking about like, oh my gosh, you know, to, the, the too big to fail mantra. If they needed money, I wouldn't mind putting in some type of like cheap key 50 to 70 million pound bid and saying like, dare, dare, dare them to say no if they need money so bad. I think that would be a fun thing to do. Yeah, uh, we were, uh, I, I'm not going to, to out tweets here, but we were talking in our, in our private thread, in our super secret private thread with tweets. You brought up this idea, Dan, of just, why don't we just buy a La Liga club? Why doesn't Roman just go all in? <laughs> Screw the one player. Let's just buy a feeder club and just have them send us players all the way up to the top. We have Vitesse. Then we would have, let's just call it Raya Vallecano or something like that. And then we could then we could have them come up to Chelsea. It could be a real win-win-win, you know? Well, it's going to be the, the La Chelsea. Um, and La so, Chelsea. Uh, it's, it'll be very fun. Uh, to see if we can flex our muscle there without enraging UEFA and La Liga and the uh, country of Spain, which uh, I think would be very likely that we would uh, win place and show if we did to try to do mm. that method. Um, mm. We're going to answer another question now, though, and uh, it's our boy 38 Blues asking, is a hot dog a sandwich? That's right. This is one of the non-football questions we got. Um, I am very much in opposition. I would say, no, it is not a sandwich, but... Uh, are you, are you in agreement or disagreement there? Why Why isn't it a sandwich? Make your case first. I want to hear your logic. I just don't think, I, I think a sandwich to me is a typically a closed face. I do admit that there is a, a, a subsection of the sandwich hierarchy that involves an open face sandwich. Um, but I don't generally think of something that is a bun, even though the bun is the bread. A bun is a very different type of bread vessel as it relates to a sandwich, um, which is typically like a hoagie roll and a bun and a hoagie roll are not necessarily like the same. You know, they're made differently. So I, I just I don't see the hot dog as being something. The hot dog to me is its own genus of food type because it is very much like you don't go to a hot dog stand to buy a sandwich. I, yeah, look, I, that last part is true. I do think, though, and, I, and I've heard this. I've heard this out there and I, I tend to agree with it. If a sub sandwich in a similar layout is a sandwich, a hot dog could be a sandwich. Like it's the same layout. It's it's open. You have stuff in there. You get a Chicago dog with veggies and a bunch of other stuff. You get brats with all sorts of shit on them. I think it, it I think it would qualify as as in the sandwich family to me. If a sub sandwich is is there, damn it, I, I would put a hot dog in there too. Strong words, and clearly there'll be divided opinion amongst the people who now agree more with you on everything and agree less with me and vice versa. So we're, we're interested to find out where people sit on in this, the... In this divided world that we live in, we have just <laughs> thrown just a sparkler bomb into the middle of it and watched the whole thing burn, you know? Well, we're, we're going to get back to some actual football conversation here because Al8706 was asking, we've got a log jam up front. We stick with the 3-4-3. We have Lukaku, Kai, Mason, Pulisic, Ziyech, Werner, and hudson Adoy competing for three spots, even with injuries that seems like too many. Do you have a sense of who will end up being the odd man or men out? Uh, I So Ziyech, I know it seems harsh to say, given his preseason form. He has not really been healthy for a lot of it and kind of isn't positionally it you know kind of makes it doesn't really make sense for him in this in this weird formation uh i don't think cal's going to be an odd man out because he's flexible in the way that he can play on the wings and stuff like that so i think there's a good chance that we're going to see him play this year um then you kind of look and it's not gonna be mason it's definitely not gonna be a big rom 
So that's kind of two of the three. And I don't think it's going to be Kai um, at the end of the day. So then you're looking at Werner, Pulisic, and Ziyech really competing for time. And I know Dan and I are divided on this. I think Pulisic will make a bigger impact in the time that he has. I think Dan feels that Werner might. And that leaves poor old Hockham, preseason hero Ziyech, out of out of kind of contention for me. The good story on the, on the silver line in all of this is that with Chelsea's absolute fuck ton of matches this season, mm. they will all be used in some capacity to help achieve our success across all fronts on the quest to win six of six possible trophies. We will need every individual contributor here because, A, it is unlikely we stay as healthy we were the best team in terms of days lost uh, to injury in the Premier League last season. That is a very hard thing to win year mm. to year. And so you would just have to imagine that there's a weird injury that pops up here or there. And we may or may lose one or two of these players for a period of time. But that is just the reality of the situation. Notwithstanding, there's also COVID still going on. And that could impact players' availability for periods of time. And Ziyech gets a weird dislocated shoulder and is out for a couple weeks here at the beginning after having a really good run of form. So, you know, in general, I agree with the assessment. I think you're looking at a Mason Kai Rom as probably your initial setup, like a preferred starting three. If you're kind of thinking that look, Lukaku sits up higher and then Mount and Kai potentially fall off back and will play off of him. Then I think it's a matter of does, how does Werner, Pulisic probably in that next set end up becoming the you know, primary subs probably for anyone. And I mean, look, you could also sub off Rom, move Kai centrally and then bring on a Werner and a Pulisic, right? Like there's a lot of different, what's nice is the flexibility, but the flexibility I think also increases the chances that a couple of these players lose out to minutes that they'll probably want. Yeah. I mean, I, the other, the other solution though, too, is that there could be, this team is so deep as like you've seen multiple depth charts on Twitter where you have two players at each position, right? Which is the ideal thing. We talked about this two years ago where we didn't have that. Um, and so that's that's really good. You, you might have an FA Cup team that gets to play more consistently together, right? Um, you might have a, a team featuring Ziyech who performs a lot better in the Champions League than he does in the Premier League, right? So you might see players feature in different competitions based on their strengths and skill sets. So we had a question from Enbueno793 asking, how do you feel about us becoming City in terms of spending? It feels like we have way higher, uh, have higher priced people who will probably ride the bench this year. Pulisic, maybe Werner and Hakim. So speaking about some of those players who may not get the minutes that we were talking about, but this idea that there's a cityfication happening to Chelsea, do you see that or do you agree with that hypothesis? I do not. I know that the the easy thing to do for a lot of pundits and uh, journalists and fans is to say money is money, right? Um, that is not uh, the the case with City and Chelsea. I'm going to pull up the uh, while while I'm talking here. I'm going to pull up the net spends over the last handful of years, which I know is not the best number to gauge these things by, but it is kind of a standard thing. Uh, Chelsea try and operate shrewdly within a budget. Now, because we bought a lot of players, we can sell a lot of players and make up the, that money, right? But we are by far the best club at selling players, whereas City are terrible at it. And the difference in, in that, Dan, is for me that Chelsea are trying to still play within FFP, whatever the fuck it is these days, and City are clearly not. I mean, they're they're fudging the books. And the only reason they didn't get dinged for it is because of a procedural issue and not because it was false information. The statute of limitations had passed. Yeah, like, <laughs> so that that is, to me, the difference between the clubs. I mean, I think to answer, you know, the, the second question, at, at competitive clubs, you look at PSG, you look at Barcelona, you look at Real Madrid, Manchester United, Manchester City, Chelsea, Bayern Munich, a club that's very well run, Borussia Dortmund, any of these clubs, you are going to buy people who may not perform at the standard that you need them to week in, week out for high wages and, and high transfer fees. Thus, they do not play, and a more deserving player, based on meritocracy, 
maybe a academy player, maybe someone who's just on a run of form takes their spot because they've earned it. Um, that doesn't mean that you have a, a problem. It means that you have a really good thing happening for, for, you know, in, in some ways, right? Obviously you don't want Pulisic hurt or playing poorly. Same with Werner, same with uh, Ziyech. But to me, I think those are two different things that you're equating. Having 50 million pound Benjamin Mendy on the bench at Manchester City, to me is far different because he's not good. He's not even good enough for, I would say, a mid-level Premier League team, let alone Manchester City. They bought poorly there. Chelsea have bought poorly in other areas, but not for, for maybe that much money. So, Dan, I will, I will stop this soliloquy while I look up this stat. Yeah, I think you have it right in the fact that Chelsea have thought more about their overall spend. I mean, we look at it this window, right? We end up going after Lukaku. Lukaku was an unrestrained per- purchase, right? We didn't necessarily need to or didn't have a blocker in terms of having to sell players necessarily to bring in someone like him. However, you look at the idea around like someone like Jules Kunde, or you look at someone like a Shumeni or a midfield option, potentially, there is a level of desire from the club to sell a couple of players to fund a and that type of outgoing, uh, to have an outgoing to offset the incoming expense. And that is something that City has never been as concerned about. Yeah, I think I remember when the Jack Grealish deal was announced, there were a couple of photoshops of, you know, uh, (laughs) of Pep Guardiola, like just throwing like million pound notes in the air like he just don't care because it's like over a billion dollars in transfer spend since he's arrived. So, look, I I think in general, to me, you want to have a deep squad. And so you might acquire a lot of players over time that – you spend a lot of money on who are going to be rotational or bit players. The hope is that over time, instead of having rotational players who are the ones you had a big outlay on that you're seeing more and more of those being filled by your, your Academy prospects, right? They've, they've grown in the club. So instead of spending a ton of money on, you know, the, uh, the Zappa Costas, the Danny Drinkwaters that you're continuing to build a model where you can spend big on a Lukaku because in your squad, you have a Mason Mount, which costs you nothing for transfer fee. You have a Reese James, which costs you nothing for transfer fee. You have a Trev Shaloba that costs you nothing for transfer fee. And so the more that you can expand your squad and your match day, your match day squad, your 11 plus your bench with promoted academy players, you then have the flexibility to go spend big on a player and you hope they work out all the time, but that's not always the case. All right, so let me read something that I think is super interesting. So this is over the last uh, five years, I believe. Yes, the last five years. Manchester City are by far and away the biggest spenders and biggest spenders in net spend as well. 954 million euros have they spent. Chelsea in a similar time have spent a large number as well, 894 million euros, okay, so a lot. The difference though is that the, uh, the loss that they're taking or, or the, the difference in, in net spend is 619 million euros for City and 284 uh, 286 for Chelsea. I'm sorry. We are 2 million in net spend um, ahead of Everton, for example, uh, which is shocking. They also list here the number of players that have come in and out of these clubs, which is shocking. Uh, for example, Inter Milan, who you wouldn't think, uh, based on the fact that they're broke now, would have spent a lot of money. They're sixth on the list. They're two spots ahead of us. AC Milan ahead of us as well. Uh, Inter Milan have bought 288 players over this time and sold 270. That's instability like a motherfucker. City, by, by comparison, have 144 and 128. Chelsea, 161, 148. So we actually have more, but at a lower, obviously, price point and, and better sales. So all that being said, City are first, we're eighth. 
it's a pretty large gap between the two. The next closest is, of course, Manchester United, then PSG. Um, there, there are differences in approach, right? And Chelsea are trying to play the game. Uh, you can argue that at times it's not as successful as we'd like it to be. Uh, but there there are differences. Well, we're going to get into some more of your questions, including midfield choices, uh, the why not us philosophy, mm. dino battles, and more. But we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to thank these sponsors for financially supporting the show, and we'll be right back. All right, so Matt Cav had the question of, do you think we will bring in a fourth midfielder, and who would you like that to be? And this is in relation to the comments that Tuchel had around this idea that we would have a midfield opening beyond the Conte, Jorginho, and Kovacic combination as it is. So we've got three players that are typically seen as maybe preferred in that area. Also talks about where he thinks Mason is in terms of a player, not as a Mm. midfielder, but as an attacker. And how does that last spot get filled? There are internal options like a Ruben Loftus-Cheek or Ethan Ampadu, who both have squad numbers and have not gone out yet this window. There's also... We've talked about the rumored links to Rice. We've talked about the links to Shuameni. So do we think someone comes in this window or do we think it's going to be a, you know, hope you don't need it because everybody is fit. But I would tell you that N'Golo Conte's health is a major concern to me, Nick. So where are you at with this? It's not. I mean, I would like to be Declan Rice. It's not going to be Declan Rice. I mean, I think that's pretty clear. Matt Law has been pretty clear when he's been on with us that that's just a, too hard of a deal for Chelsea to do. And it's not really on the table right now. Um, in that case, uh, let me throw let me throw another name at you just to see how this feels. Jude Bellingham. Jude Bellingham. Fun, interesting, English, plays for Dortmund. What if we went back to Dortmund and said... All right, you won't sell us the big Norwegian. That's fine. Uh, what about this young English uh, midfielder? Huh? How about that? What about the English midfielder who played for England at the Euros and was a consistent sub during that time? Young, uh, probably would get him for a decent fee and might be able to do some real business for, for Chelsea. So just an alternate name to a shoe of many. I know we've talked a lot about him. Tweeds has talked about him. Uh, we've we've talked about him on transfer shows before, but eh, Jude Bellingham, why not? I mean, but have you seen Joe play? Joe Bellingham? Because he's, you know. Just, look, see, that's some that's some real in-the-know action right there, Dan. That's pretty cool. Um, yeah, so he also has a brother, in case you were... Uh, in case you were interested in, uh, in potentially the sibling uh, the sibling uh, move later. But yeah, Jude would be kind of interesting, huh? Yeah, I, it's very interesting. I don't think that that is a this year or even a next year. It's probably would be like a three-year plan. If you think about the way that Dortmund values their assets, they would let Jude appreciate over the next two seasons and sell him on a high as they will probably look to sell uh, early Holland, not this summer, but next summer. And so I think about it, it's uh, two years from now, three years from now, Jude goes at a really high rate and they continue their success as a club that buys very intelligently and sells after the fact. I, so to me, like Shuameni is the the direct backup to N'Golo Conte, right? And so that way you have a backup to Conte in Shuameni and then you have, Kovacic is your backup to Jorginho, and now you've got four people playing in the spot. Um, I don't think it's Ruben Loftus-Cheek, and I don't think it's Ethan Ampadu. I think they are the, you hope it's not them as the option, but you wouldn't, you wouldn't be disappointed, but they, both of them very clearly not as easy plug and play into the spot as you might hope they would have been. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't seem that way right now. I mean, it's entirely possible they could still surprise us and then we look like idiots. Um, sure, you know, I would love, I love, love nothing more than that. Uh, I'll throw another one at you who's not sure many. Tyler Adams, U.S. men's national team player, plays for RB Leipzig. Uh, has scored some really important Champions League goals for them, is a tremendous central defensive midfielder uh, and uh, really a great player overall. Well, you you pre-answered a question later in the script from Nap Attack, which was if you could pick one member of the U.S. men's national team you'd like to see at Chelsea at some point, and it made sense, who would it be? So is Tyler Adams that individual based upon our need? Yes. Tyler Adams is a tremendous, tremendous, tremendous footballer. Yes. <laughs> Done. 
Bangarang. All right. So we go on to the next one, which is just about the why not us philosophy. Um, and so Big Nash asking, so Brandon used the magic why not us in the first episode of the season. Realistically, when should the band assemble? And a follow-up question of, are we already planning our trip to St. Petersburg now instead of planning for a last-minute escapades to Portugal? Look, Big Nash, you don't jinx something like this by buying plane tickets nine months in advance. All right? You just don't do that. Uh, you wait until you qualify, and then you scramble like a motherfucker to get those tickets. <laughs> um, that's that's how you do it. We've done it, and it's uh, it's a lot. It's a lot to plan. Um, it depends what we're saying. Why not us too, Dan? Like, are we saying why not us to six trophies? Then we should assemble now. Uh, if we're saying why not us to the Premier League, I think we have to realistically wait till December. Um, because that's when the, the cream starts to rise to the top. And we know that after a really crazy summer of football, teams are not going to be whole until realistically the like middle of September, end of September anyway. So you really need a couple of months to figure out who's good or who's not. Or you just know, and you have belief beyond belief. You have sight beyond sight. You are just gifted with the belief and the knowledge of the future. You've picked up the almanac. You've traveled forward in time and then back from the future. And you're going to use that knowledge to your own personal gain. Uh, you're going to biff it. And you know what? Why not us? Is It's never too early. It's never too early for the belief because the optimism is a great feeling. It's a great feeling to think about the possibility of what could be with this Chelsea side, with this core that has been galvanized through two finals now, winning two trophies together under the tutelage of Thomas Tuchel. The camaraderie is strong. You add a Lukaku in who's just going to ball so hard in the Premier League, in the Champions League. I, never too early. Never too early. Let's plan that PTO time for uh, the final now. Let's do it. I'm knocking on wood to counter jinx whatever Dan just did. Um, yeah, I need time. <laughs> and that's okay. I, I think people need to appreciate that not everybody boards the Why Not Us train at the same time, but the Why Not Us train is stopping at every possible station along the season to pick people up. I will say there's a lot of there's a lot more excitement uh, this time around uh, than, than maybe there was last year. So looks looks like a really solid squad we got. We had another question that kind of ties to Nash's question, though, about traveling to St. Petersburg. And we had 30, uh, 38 Blues, another question, just asking, what's the insight on what it's like to travel based on COVID, you know, regards to our Portugal experience? You're asking what it would look like to travel to the bridge now. Bars, flights, stadiums, uh, because they're considering the week of New Year's. And I think this might also be a good opportunity, Nick, that we've, you know, in the past, we've had trips to London. People have asked us, when are we going next? And, you know, it's something that we have put a lot of thought into when it's going to be safe for us to travel uh, either individually or as a group and, you know, what our thoughts are there. Yeah, look, uh, on, on that front, I mean, just on a more serious note as a group, uh, we got really lucky with the window that Porto was in. There were really decreased rates of COVID in the United States, um, kind of around Memorial Day weekend. And you had to have a negative test to get into Portugal for the country. We were all vaccinated. So you was like basically everybody who traveled in for the Champions League final was vaccinated uh, or, or uh, had a negative test. So it was a pretty safe environment, little bubble that we were in in Porto. And that was a little bit different. Uh, it, that, that would be different that these days going to, to London. Uh, although I will say that their vaccination rates as a country are, are pretty high, which is good, which means that, you know, the rates of infection are are lessening. Um, so, yeah, I mean, first of all, just if, if you want to travel anywhere, get vaccinated first. Uh, you're going to have vaccine requirements and negative test requirements. I mean, we did three tests in four days, I think, to get in and out of the country. Uh, that's just the standard operating procedure now. You got to give yourself time. You got to get the right test to travel. It's called an RT-PCR test. Uh, it's expensive uh, because it's basically the most accurate version that they have um, of, of the PCR test. And it's the one that you will likely need to travel to a different country if you are not vaccinated. So uh, just, just have an extra day or two in your travel planning if you're going to go. And then obviously go and read the State Department garden, uh, guidance uh, on the U.S. State Department and 
any sort of British tourism, uh, travel vlog, whatever, just look at expert opinions on both sides of the, of the, of the border, right? Uh, it's really important to understand what the rules are going to be in London rather than what it is in Florida. Uh, those are vastly different places with vastly different people and vastly different rules. So, uh, yeah, I think it's just, I always take this, this opinion, Dan, when I'm traveling somewhere else, I'm traveling to someone else's house. I'm going to play by their rules. That's just what it is. If someone comes here, they have to do the same thing. It's absolutely right. I think the, in addition to just being safe and, you know, exercising the utmost caution and doing everything you can to keep yourself safe and keep others safe is understand that things are going to continue to change over the next two, three, six months as we as world travelers figure out how we move from country to country and what the requirements are today might not be the requirements and the policy come December. And so you might have a wonderful trip planned that gets postponed or you're not allowed to enter based upon caseloads or requirements maybe for a third vaccine shot or whatever it might be like the and I, I think having the patience and understanding in this moment that if you're going to plan a trip it might not be a type of trip you plan out as far as you usually would and like mm. that's going to feel really weird for a lot of people it might mean that it's more costly but it also might mean that you don't get disappointed in the way that you would in three months from now six months from now that travel is way different because things have changed yeah, it's a really good point, Dan. I think that's probably the fourth rule is just be ready for anything. Be ready to roll with the punches. Be ready to wear a mask. It's not, you know, when we were in Portugal, people shouted at you if you didn't have a mask on, you know, and, and like we were all vaccinated. They didn't know that, though. You know, their, their country hadn't been fully vaccinated yet. So be prepared to wear a mask. Be prepared to adjust to uh, any sort of guidance that the local authorities put in and just be ready for a different kind of experience than you might have had otherwise. I know, Corey, you've been to the bridge a bunch and it, it may not be the exact same, right? There are a bunch of places that have closed uh, around Stanford Bridge during the pandemic that you might have wanted to go to. So, uh, yeah, I think that's all gravy. I think on, on our trip point, we are looking at guidance across the board. The reason that we canceled our Vegas trip is because we didn't think it would be safe. And the last thing that we wanted to do was uh, put anyone in a position, whether they wanted to be there or, or whatever, in a position where they could get sick and you know either get seriously sick or something worse. I mean, we would never be able to forgive ourselves for something like that. So when we when we look at a trip in the future, it will be under you know situation that is uh, far less risky than what Vegas is currently going through, which is like. 1500 new cases a day and a huge skyrocketing rate of infection. It just isn't the right time uh, on that. So, uh, look, I mean, the UK might be a, a safer bet as we get kind of more vaccinations in arms. Uh, but we'll we'll let you know as we feel comfortable because we just like you guys are too important to us uh, to risk it. Well, let's get into something a little more lighthearted and something that's, again, another one of our non-football questions with DJ Roomba frequent contributor to the off the wall questions in the London is blue podcast universe with the, I want to know who is your favorite dinosaur <laughs> and why would your dinosaur win in a mono a mono fight? Well, Dan, I, I think, I think you should go first on this one. Well, favorite does not necessarily mean that they would win, but I'm just going to go with my favorite. I always liked the triceratops growing up. Mm. I think that that was, you know, my, my general favorite, look, you know, it wasn't the Velociraptor from Jurassic Park. It wasn't the T-Rex. Um, I just, I like the Triceratops, man. So it was a classic, you know, I had a Triceratops toy when I was younger with some of my, my dino figures uh, in my, you know, six to eight year old range of, uh, of toydom. So I, I don't know. What's, what was your, is it the, the tiny arm, big head T-Rex? Is that what you're going with? No, that's the easy one, but that's actually a bad one to pick. Uh, you, you wouldn't want something that could get toppled over big head, little arms. That's a, te that's a terrible one. Um, if we were in a water battle, you got to go with Megalodon, right? Because that's the, that's the king of all, all the sharks. Um, but I think there, there is this, um, <laughs> there is this like, 
armor plate. I think it's a stegosaurus, I believe yeah. is what it's called. It has it the double ar- rows of plates on its back. Double rows of plates, and I think it had the spiky tail, uh, which is kind of a club-type deal. And uh, look, I think there's just a lot of uh, weaponry on this thing, and I kind of like its. I kind of like the cut of its jib, if you will. So, uh, I would be going with. I believe it's called a stegosaurus. Um, you're you're correct. It also uh, sat very low to the ground and had a tail as well. So, uh, there there was a suggestion that though that was a primarily a herbivore, and so that might potentially change the likelihood that it is going to be apt for combat. Um, whereas the Triceratops obviously could ram into the side of it and potentially turn it over with its horns. So, you know, I'm feeling pretty good that my Triceratops would beat your Stegosaurus, but you know, uh, I don't, I don't know. So, uh, the, if you, if you're looking for a, a, a definitive answer, the New York times actually put out an article who would win in a dinosaur battle Royale. Uh, this is a cheat sheet for dino obsessed kids. Uh, so, uh, the, you know, T Rex makes it, sauropods, which is like a brontosaurus, that makes Spin- it. Spinosaurus, probably, because it's yeah. larger than a T Rex. Ankylosaurus, this is a tank type of vehicle. <laughs> um, that's pretty cool. It's kind of a stegosaurus on, on crack, so I might pick that. Triceratops makes it uh, at an 8 out of 10. Stegosaurus is only 7 out of 10, so maybe you win on that and then there are a couple that are lower but uh yeah this is uh we, we made we made the top five dan with our picks which is cool i didn't know about ankylosaurus though this thing looks pretty awesome they have like a little animation deal oh, it, yeah. it, looks, it looks like a tank it's actually pretty cool so there you go how about that dino knowledge what up did you know fun <laughs> yeah. fact when i was two years old i could say most dinosaur names Genius. I did not, but wow, I'm I'm so glad I know that fact now. Grizz asked the question: If we're playing for Chelsea, if we, if we were playing for Chelsea today, which thank God we're not, because it would really hurt our title chances. Every, everybody's um, very happy about that. Yes. No, no, that we would be we would be the players that people be tweeting about. Like, why are they still collecting a wage every week? Yeah. Shouldn't they be playing for? <laughs> yeah, fucking shit, mate. Yeah, we are. Uh, yes. We're not even playing like we're not even playing for spots on like a USL like bench. We're playing for spots in like a pub league. So um, who would be our best mate on the team? Who would we probably have, be most connected to have a good bond and relationship with? God, this is such a good question. Um, so I would be in the banter group. Uh, I would thoroughly enjoy you? the banter group. Me. <laughs> <laughs> me uh so look you know i i think your chill wells your mounts uh you know formerly tammy tammy would have been a, a great friend of mine in the squad i believe maybe a little zuma action uh that that's kind of my my group i would probably say i'm trying to go through the lineup here um yeah i'd probably go I'd probably go Mount. I think Mount's easy. And I think in the full transparency piece, right? You know, we've interviewed him. We've said hello to him after winning a Champions League final. Mm-hmm. There's obviously a, a general connection there. So, yeah, we probably would be mates with him. I, I think uh, it probably doesn't surprise people that I was really good friends with most of my teachers in uh, high school and so in college. So, <laughs> I don't know. I feel like Tuchel and I would be, get along oh, pretty well. Fuck off. <laughs> Fuck off. That is just so lame. Boo. I'm going to throw paper airplanes from at the back, just knock you in the head. Wouldn't, wouldn't be the first one. Um, yeah. So anyway, Aspie versus Reese. Jack, Jack asking the question, does Reese or Aspie become our main, main right wing back if Chalaba and Zuma both stay? And could Chalaba be our solution to a four midfield player while providing center back depth as well? Um, yeah, let, let's let Chalaba do one thing. How about that? Um, he could, I guess, you know, hypothetically in a pinch play there, but you don't want to, I think you want to settle him in, uh, into a spot. Um, Reese is going to have to take it from Aspie. I said this on, on the pod with Chidge last weekend. He's going to have to take it. Aspie's not going to give it to him. Uh, Aspie's a professional, uh, that wants to play football. He just... Ended up playing a lot of time for Spain in the in the Euros, and he just won the Champions League. I don't know if you know that. Um, that was pretty cool. Uh, yeah, I think if if he is if his only option is to play wing back, Reese is going to have a hell of a battle on his hands. He may win it, 
but Aspie's going to give him a hard time. That's fair. Um, so we also got a question from JL. It's a Ted Lasso specific question, uh, maybe in relation to our Lasso pods, but hypothetical. What about Roy Kent's gameplay? Would Chelsea Twitter have complained about during his time at Chelsea? And the follow up would uh, who would Roy Kent have invariably fought off in a training ground dust up? Nick, when I read this question, I feel like the pace probably would have been something that Chelsea supporters would have complained about on Twitter, given the fact they talk about his knees and maybe not be able to keep pace with the game in the first season of Ted Lasso. We have to remember, though, this is 2012 Chelsea. He he hypothetically won the Champions League with Chelsea, so he fits in the midfield somewhere. Um, where is, is the question? Maybe in the Obi Mikel role or something like that. Um, he's certainly not taking Lampard's spot in that team. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's probably pace and or, you know, here's here's the other option. Too many cards and he misses matches too often. He's off, flies off the handle, red card, puts the team down. Ooh, discipline. Yeah, discipline, I, I think, could have been an issue. So uh, I would say that is probably a thing. The player within that group that I think he most likely would have had a dust-up with Ooh, there are a lot of characters there. Raul Morelish, no doubt in my mind. <laughs> Raul Morelish is the answer. Done. I, I won't even debate you on that one. Uh, we had uh, Keith asking the question of where do we see Chelsea at the, in the Premier League table at Christmas time? At Christmas time. Hmm. <laughs> um, if Chelsea have a successful August and September, we could be at the top of the table around Christmas. Because our October, November, December fixtures are far more favorable than our than our early season fixtures, and we would be kind of cruising in with a uh, Romelu Lukaku uh, profile of player who's who's likely going to beat up on these flat uh, flat track bully opportunities. So I think if we if we have a good couple of months here, this could be a top of the table type sitch. When you think about the fact that at the basically on December 1st, I'm going to push November 30th into that month, you have Watford, West Ham, Leeds, Everton, Wolves, and Villa and Brighton as your December fixtures versus you know the, the start of this season, which uh, now we have Arsenal, Liverpool, Villa, Spurs, and City as our next run of games in the Premier League before the end of September. So I agree with you. If we have a really good strong showing initially, I don't I can foresee a world war first, but I'm just going to say it's probably second, um, mm. but not far off. I, I, I think we'll, we'll be very close to whomever is there. Remember, the title is really won or lost January, February, March. So, yep. you know, as long as you're there, thereabouts. That's that's what you need to do. Uh, I'm going to quickly answer Spencer's question here, which is, can you see a situation where Chelsea push hard for Holland next summer as a generational talent? Lukaku has proven himself successful in a two-striker system. Would you guys be interested in that transfer, even if it meant offloading key wing players? I will say it's probably done for Holland at Chelsea, having spent £100 million uh, pounds or, or euros on a Lukaku transfer. I just don't see how Chelsea invests there next season, particularly looking at adding another midfielder, maybe adding someone in center back. There's going to be additional positions and that money's going to need to be a little bit more spread. And we're not going to have the, we're not going to compete with essentially, I think the wage demands that Holland is going to have and destabilize our total team. Yeah, I agree. I, I just, I don't, I don't see him. I don't see him at Chelsea anymore. And I know that's going to really frustrate a lot of people. Um, I think we were really, really lucky to get the guy that we got. And if you look at where City are at right now, where they're trying to lie, cheat, beg, borrow, and steal to find someone who can put the ball in the back of the net, or you look at United, who doesn't really have a striker at all. They just have a collection of semi-forward players. Or you look at Arsenal, and they're all over 45 years old now. Uh, we look like we, we did a really good piece of business, I'd say. Next question from Big Tuck. Premier League 11. He asked us to create the best 11 of current Premier League players, only picking one player per club. Nick, you and I spent at least 10 minutes trying to come up with our lineups before we started recording. And we would challenge anybody to do this because it was not an easy task when you're limiting yourself to one player per club. No, strategy is the art of making choices. I, I do strategy for a living. 
and it is our job to help you make the best choices uh, as strategists. This was fucking hard, man. This is such a, it was a very good question. So we wanted to respect it by giving it the appropriate time and not just making it up on the fly. So I will go first and, uh, and, and give you the rationale here. So remember, there has to be, you can't have two players from one team on this squad. It has to be 11 different teams represented. My team, Schmeichel and Goal from Leicester. I have Matty Cash from Villa as my right back. I have Virgil van Dyke. Uh, from Liverpool and Ruben Diaz as my uh, uh, center backs from uh, Liverpool and Manchester City, respectively, and Tierney as my left back from Arsenal. So that is my back line. Very stout. Uh, not a whole lot going on there. Cash gets forward a little bit, but yeah, more defensive minded. Then in front of them, putting up the blockade of N'Golo Conte and Declan Rice, Chelsea and West Ham represented. So Good luck getting through that. That's going to be fun. My front four, however, are going to, we're going to need to work on the goal scoring, I think, a little bit, which is probably the weakness of my team. But uh, I do have a couple of key players in here regardless. I have Rafinha from Leeds, who is kind of a tricky uh, right and or left winger, so we can do some positional swaps. Uh, I have Bruno Fernandes, as much as I hate him, from Manchester United uh, in here. I have Richarlison from Everton, who uh, does like to get forward and does have quite the shot on him, has played kind of a faux striker before. Uh, so, you know, lots lots of flexibility there. And then I do have Harry Kane from Tottenham, nay, potentially Manchester City in the future, but right now Tottenham. Yeah, this was tough. Uh, you know, I, I like a lot of your selections. We have a couple of the same players. Uh, I, I went a little different in swapping out maybe the defender and attacker choices for some of the teams you picked from. I went with Martinez from Villa in goal. You know, I think, you know, you got a little bit of uh, bravado back there. You got a strong individual uh, that did mean saying no to a couple of Villa players I was considering for uh, attacking roles. I went with Shaw from United as a left back. I went with the all English duo of Dunk and me. So Brighton and Burnley uh, giving us a real stout defense. <laughs> There's a lot, a lot of no nonsense defending there. Uh, Pereira from Leicester as a uh, right back. A midfield combo of N'Golo Conte, Kevin De Bruyne, and Declan Rice. Declan dropping probably a little bit deeper um, as the kind of defensive option, giving KDB license uh, along with N'Golo Conte to just uh, box to box it and uh, make magic happen. And then a front three of Sun from Spurs, Bamford, and Mo Salah. I think there's plenty of goals in this side. Um Maybe not as robust an attacking uh, or sorry, uh, a center back offering. Like I think they're they're maybe a little bit more one dimensional than you would like. Um, but in general, I feel like this team would do better than Arsenal this season. So, you know, there's that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Any team could do better than Arsenal this season. Um, knock on wood. Please, please, dear God, beat them on, on the weekend. This is a. Uh, very hard thing. We want you to tweet at us with your teams because it was fun and it will take you a second to process. Yeah, if you immediately have this, I just want to know how much Premier League football you're watching because uh, it, it did take a moment of reflection. We have one last question, though, Nick, before we get out of here. We tried to answer all of them. We gave ourselves an hour. Maybe we took um, a little bit more than we could chew. But we had to get this last question in from Grizz, which was, which of these will happen first? Brandon Busby fellow co-host of the London's Blue podcast, getting married or Chelsea winning the league? Uh, it, it should be noted uh, as, of, as of this recording, Brandon Busby is not engaged. Uh, so uh, so that's kind of your timeline. Um, that's, you know, he's just not engaged. So it's not as if there is a pending wedding, right? Um, so that I just want to put that out there. Chelsea are also not favored to win the Premier League. So this could be a real race to the finish. Uh, we, we hope it's not four years from now. We'll just say that. How about that? Um, I have no earthly idea if, if old Busby's going to get married before Chelsea win the league. All I hope for is that Chelsea win the league first, damn it. You know, that's, that's what I want to say. Yeah, I don't want to put any of the undue pressure on Brandon God, Busby no. Uh, no. and therefore actually put the, you know, the the pressure on his relationship. That's just not juju I want to put out into the world. And I just think Chelsea might win the league this year. So you know what? Unless Brandon's getting married between now and May, which, again, not engaged, probably not happening. He's going to have a hard time beating this May. So sorry, Brandon, you lose. Chelsea win the league. 
We're gonna win the league. We're gonna win the league. Da -da 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 -da. Yeah. Um, let's hope we win the league. How about that? Yeah, there we go. Well, that is it, Nick. Any final comments before we depart from this episode today? Did we save the world again? I think the answer is yes, but uh, you can tell me if yeah. I'm wrong. Definitively, we saved the world. Uh, I think people love a, a Dan and Nick show. And look, uh, the questions this time, I, I have to say, were excellent. Um, between hot dog is a sandwich, between who would your best mate be on the team and dino fight, plus the Premier League 11, Ah, this was a meaty episode. So well done, guys. Well done. Well, we hope uh, if you're listening to this on its drop day on the Wednesday that this was a nice little pick me up in the midweek. I think we felt a little bored without football and great transfer news. So it was exciting to have this type of conversation with your listeners. We thank you for the questions. We thank you for listening, for leaving five star reviews, for joining us on Patreon. Uh, you were just the most amazing part of this show that we continue to get to do. And so we thank you for being a part of it, uh, being a wonderful community of Chelsea supporters. And until next time, which is going to be this Friday when we talk to you about the match against Arsenal this weekend. Keep the blue flag flying high.